Welcome to State of the Matter. I'm your host, Stephen Wilkins, and this is a podcast brought to you by Plasma Magazine, where we cover Atlanta's underground and DIY art, music, and culture. On this month's podcast, we have Jordan Neal interviewing painter Felipe Cavalcante, my interview with Jake Chisenhall talking about his latest musical project, DeLorean Gray, and Nia Clark interviewing Kaya Mitchell about Adventure ATL. Let's get into it. If you can get into it now. Yeah. Uh, so the first question I ask people um, is, what did you have for breakfast? What did I have for breakfast? Uh, um, my girlfriend's out of town, so I ate Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> That's it. I didn't make anything to eat. It was a glass of water and like two Girl Scout cookies. Uh, I am act, I don't know why I just don't eat that much. That's a struggle I, breakfast, man. Dude, I just sometimes I get really bored of cooking and eating, and the whole process kind of seems like unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And it might be a problem, but sometimes I just skip breakfast. I love breakfast though. Usually it's like eggs, you know, at least some eggs and cheese and stuff and toast is usually what I get. But today mm-hmm. was. I think two or three thin mints and a glass of water. A glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle bill. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. Word, man. I, I think I pretty much skipped breakfast as well today. I had uh, a bagel, cinnamon raisin bagel. Nice. And uh, uh, one of those Tropicana cranberry juices. See, you're making me hungry. That's good. Bagel, bagel some cream cheese at that least? Shit, or just no, straight no, bagel? No, nah, you don't do this whole vegan thing right now. Uh, so I can't even eat the cream cheese. I just literally just had a plain bagel. It was warm at least. Toasted. Untoasted. Oh, that's <laughs> a struggle breakfast. See, see what I'm saying? I'd rather not eat than eat like yeah. something like lame, you know? Yeah, like, it Might as well just wait until I get hungry and everything tastes great. <laughs> you know? Question for you. Um, how did you dive into art? Um, I guess it would be in the actual word diving into art would be me choosing to go to Georgia State for a BFA instead of pursuing engineering at Georgia Tech. That was the time that I was just like, all right, I'm throwing everything away mm-hmm. and I'm just going to do art now. But, How did you get to that that kind of crossroad though? Like, um, uh, I was down in Milledgeville, Georgia. I had like a crazy time moving down there and like broke up with a lady and I was like super hectic times but I was really into art getting into art that was the first time I even took art classes in school was for my associate's degree mm-hmm. and I mean I'm like 25 at this point or something this is my first art class and I was just like I was just painting and painting and painting a real cool teacher or professor there Mr. Ray Hastings I don't know where that guy is or what he's doing crazy dude old school mm-hmm. hippie cat and um yeah just eventually I was like dude um, I was sitting there about to graduate and I started applying for schools and I was like, what do I want to do? Is it engineering or arts? And then uh, I just heard how Georgia Tech can kind of like own your products if you come out with anything while you're there. So I was like, that's kind of lame. That's super lame. I didn't know that. Yeah. So whenever you're at Georgia Tech and you come out with something, it's under Georgia Tech's like copyright or something. And my mom has had some like battles with that when she went to Georgia Tech mm-hmm. and she got pushed out of a project that's like multi-million dollar thing going on now and so I was like yeah that's kind of lame and I don't know why I went to art school man I should have just not gone to school and just like figured out myself you yeah, know, like yeah. how to do it and I mean, I'm, but I'm sure you learned some valuable I learned a there. lot I learned a lot and then one thing I learned was that you don't need to go to art school <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you make hella connections you're basically paying for networking people have to be nice to you mm-hmm. you know uh, 
working artists that are your professors have to sit down and talk to you. You don't really get that opportunity outside in the outside world. You know? Gotcha. It's a lot harder to kind of get to that point. Yeah, I mean, when do you get to schedule time with anybody and make them sit down and listen to you babbling about your paint strokes for hours? You know, like, you pay money to do that shit. That's, That's cool, true. you know? And so that was cool. You get to actually figure out what you're doing. Um, you know, and that was my BFA, so now I'm looking at graduate school possibly, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I want to. I'm kind of like lost in art anyways at the t moment, mm -hmm. so possibly, maybe graduate school. But yeah, so getting my BFA and getting into mass amounts of student debt was when I dove into art. <laughs> so you've never like considered yourself to be an artist before? Oh no, always did, you know. So besides diving in, that's when I say I actually dove into art. But real gradually from a kid, I've always been like interested in making marks on paper or doing anything. I've always been inclined to like mess with stuff with my hands. Um, our like earliest memories is my mom. She was used to be a photographer, and she I remember her doing like clay sculpting at the house mm -hmm. uh, when we first. Uh, I think the first like real push that's all like art was my dad was in a had a woodworking shop out on DeKalb Ave back mm -hmm. in the day and so I would always be there on the weekends and weekdays like they basically like babysitting at the work you know and he was making fine art furniture you know and doing, just like, around it you like your whole yeah life. just basically yeah I was like you know caressed into it and yeah I mean that was basically it was like my, my mom and my dad showed me that and my dad's really into music so I grew up like listening to the flute like jazz flute in the mm -hmm. background all the time so it's just like Pretty much, like, none of them were, well, I guess my dad was a dedicated woodworker, but, like, to me, art was more, like, um, universal than just pick a medium mm -hmm. and, like, pick, like, just stay to that medium, you know? Gotcha. So that had probably the biggest effect on me is that I can't stick to one medium, you know? I mean, that's, that's also kind of a good thing, though. It allows mm -hmm. you to experiment with different stuff that you have an interest in and kind of see where you're at. And certain, with certain mediums and stuff like that and mm -hmm. see what you can do you mm -hmm. know so yeah and it's awesome each time you know each time I pick up a medium I mean for a while I guess I'll try to reproduce like the same style on different mediums but mm -hmm. what I found real interesting is like picking up a different medium and seeing what it makes what kind of art it makes compared to like what kind of art I can make gotcha with, like watercolor or something it's like oh no watercolor is real flowing you can use that like fluid movement once it dries it's suspended in time like do you make something like that like some clouds or like mm -hmm. you know like real natural feel or like screen printing I go for like full on photorealism with like uh, like abstract coloring to it or something you know and you just really photorealism with screen printing that it's fun dude like, I did the first screen print I ever oh no I lied the first screen print I did at Georgia State my teacher hated it and he laughed because I was showing him all my other art it was like mm -hmm. all my other art's like five by four foot oil painting like figure painting you know and I show him my first screen print and he was like dude what are you doing and it was legitimately an eight by ten shot of a plank of wood and it was just the wood grain you know and yeah. people were like what but it was like an eight nine color screen print just to try to pull off wood print like in a photorealistic manner you know that sounds cool as fuck yeah and it was like, the idea yeah it's like who would ever sit there and draw wood you know like right. wood grain's awesome everybody loves wood grain but like i felt kind of silly for a while that i was sitting there drawing wood you know but in the end it came out cool i saw what uh where a screen printing can take you you know and you mm. can it's just a real fun process like tearing down a photo and putting it into in terms of screen print you know that, that's so crazy that like your art teacher uh kind of 
almost didn't accept that idea. You yeah, know what I mean? um, that was a big thing at school for me. Is I had a lot of teachers that didn't like what I did, and like a bunch of different, you know, not just screen printing but painting. I got a lot of like flag because um, I'm a male. I'm mm -hmm. a light skinned male that paints females a lot, mm -hmm. and you know they're not always nude, but this is technically objectifying of you know females mm -hmm. through a male's eye, mm -hmm. even though I'm. None of it's like in a sexual manner, you know. The female figure is beautiful, and I'm extremely like drawn to it. But it's never really like a straight up sexual manner or anything. It's more all my work is like basing off emotions and trying to trying to be able to give an image to like the unseen like emotions that we run into through life, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah. Apparently, I was objectifying everybody, and I guess I am because I put a person onto a canvas and now that canvas is an object so literally yes I am objectifying people but I am not like you know nowhere in poor taste or manner you know right. and I had there's about like a year of school where I was just like really angry with some of my professors because that was the only thing that would be said during critiques was like yo why females why you know and I understand it you gotta explore but um, I don't know I'm really I don't know I'm looking at it more the female figure to me represents like comfort and nurturing mm -hmm. and as um like the anima the balance for a male to have like feminine not tendencies but mm -hmm. like to be able to relate to like nurturing and comforting you mm -hmm. know and so that's kind of a focus in in turn i feel like the female form is more of just a universal symbol for those like compassion and for like comforting someone and like those kind of emotions so yeah, I tend to gravitate towards the female form, you know. Gotcha. It, dude, it, it almost sounds like art school one is almost anti-experimentation, and then two imposes a lot of stress and anxiety on you. A lot of stress and anxiety, yeah. On, on a process that should be so like freeing and right, like ex naturally expressive. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I yeah, exactly. And then I feel like. Uh, was the first thing you said was you feel like they stifle all your creativity and it definitely I didn't even know this was a cliche but they say school kills creativity you know and mm -hmm. if I ever even heard that probably never not school but yeah I feel like school pushed me so hard to experiment even though I knew what I was trying to do that it ended up killing like a lot of drive for me and like it even made me want to like stop painting a lot of the time and I'd be mad all the time when I was painting because they made you think about oh, but what about these people back in time? You know, like, what about these uh, other factors that have literally nothing to do with you? You know, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, people already painted this, or this has already been done a million times. Or like, yes, you're objectifying females. And it's like, why don't you do something else? Do something else. Do something else. You know, just the whole time. And it did stress me out a lot. Mm -hmm. And like, Was there I, ever a, a point in, like, your, in your, like, your student career mm -hmm. where you were approaching painting a new piece or making some sort of uh, piece uh, and you had a lot of like, you had a lot of conscious thought about, damn, I want to paint what I want, be it, whether it be a woman or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And you're like, damn, well, my teachers are going to like be upset or hate it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And did that stress you out? Yeah, and it stressed me out real, like to massive point. I, yeah, again, I would come home all mad and stuff from school and then... It pushed me to a point where this is where school was good and they got me with their tricks that they're trying to pull. They're like really push you to do stuff that you've never done before yeah. that you don't like or anything. 
And I really like focusing on beautiful things on my painting. I like to feel good. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to feel good for the most part. Mm -hmm. And um, so eventually I started making really, really bad, like, uh, sat well, it's satire and it's like really bad, almost like childlike drawings. Now do a more like hyper-realistic portrait with like um, almost like a little kid crayon drawing body and stuff and this was um the main point of that was i was trying to get images of very powerful people mm -hmm. and like i have evelyn rothschild poking prince charles in the chest and that's like an actual photo mm -hmm. and so i took that photo added all these childish aspects and like the background's real like almost camo green like different colors of green just mm -hmm. real bad it doesn't feel good to look at these things at mm -hmm. all and um so yeah i started doing the satire once I knew nobody was going to listen to me about like the art that I like to make, you know, and it's pretty cool. I like doing political pieces and like pushing, you know, like uh, progression in the United States. But the satire is real cool. I'm basically trying to disarm uh, famous images of people in high places, mm -hmm. you know. So I've done a scene. Uh, well, the last one I was working on, I guess, was uh, um, it was focusing on food in America and mm -hmm. modifying food in America, mm -hmm. which is, you know, has some negative connotations and some positive things. And I did a diptych, two canvases with two, uh, a portrait on each, uh, just to kind of show the differences. Let me grab the, let me find this guy's name. Yeah, so on the painting is Norman Berlow, and he's the father of the Korean Revolution. This guy mm -hmm. was one of the first people to like be famous for genetically modifying crops to help. Uh, well, he went down to Mexico in 44 to start this program, and they made dwarf wheat plant, which is just wheat grows real fast and short and easy to harvest and stuff. And so mm -hmm. they brought Mexico to one of the largest exporters of wheat in the world from mm -hmm. having almost no wheat to being one of the largest exporters. This guy ended up later going to India. India is a powerhouse for wheat. They are also like one of the largest countries, the most poor country, you know, mm -hmm. and he went there to push out food for the hungry, basically. Right. He spent most of his life after that in Africa trying to push the same kind of um, so it's, agenda, you know? intentions were good going Yeah, into the guy, he's been crowned the guy that's like saved like a billion lives across the world, you know, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. starvation, you know. And he's had some negative flags saying like, oh, they only helped out like rich farmers. Mm -hmm. And like, there, you know, there's always different aspects. But the guy was, he was the father of the Green Revolution and actually genetically modifying food. And then on the other side of the painting, we have uh, this guy... Warner Bauman and he is a CEO of Bayer and I did that because Bayer bought out Monsanto and now they're um, basically Monsanto has been going around patenting seeds forever and patenting mm -hmm. genes and trying to make it as hard as it, as it is to that's, be able to grow food on your own right that's you crazy know? that you can you can patent Dude, they patented medical cannabis I think two years ago you can patent genes, like and this was, though. Yeah, and this was still when cannabis was federal, or, or it, it's still federally illegal, but, like, these guys ended up going ahead and patenting this shit, and it's yeah. fine, you know? And then, what's his name? Uh, they had one of the, the vice, uh, the vice president of Monsanto in 2016 was elected the head of the e uh, FDA, you mm -hmm. know? And so, I mean, 
just like some attention to check out like, yo, where's your food coming from? Like, why do people say GMOs are bad? Why do people say GMOs are good? And like, that's, so that series came from me being like way too pissed off at mm. school, you know, and mm. they're like, they ended up loving it. And I like legitimately hate it. I hate this series. Mm. I still do it, but do you like, it's a, uh, I guess you're not supposed to like that kind of thing to talk, you know, you don't feel good for finding out the information that you're, country will sell whatever they can to make you know mm -hmm. buck or like mm -hmm. you know they will partner with giant corporations from outside the united states to sell patents you know and mm -hmm. uh basically run a monopoly on seeds and food and stuff and there's plenty of more like shitty things monsanto has done mm -hmm. it's all to the beauty of our research you know maybe i'm even wrong about norman berlow and he was an asshole but that's for you know that's for you to go and find out and that's right. why i kind of like that series is it's like the ugly truth. It looks ugly. All none of the colors are flattering, you know. Mm -hmm. and it's just like, yo, this is this is the situation. And but that 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 series kind of came out of a point in of turmoil in your life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That kind of sounds like like the artist dilemma. And I've had conversations about this with other artists talking mm -hmm. about like how artists actually get celebrated and praised for the pieces that they create while they're going through some kind of turmoil or pain or something yeah. like that. And like. Mm -hmm. It, that kind of sucks. <laughs> and it makes sense what everybody focuses on the negative, you know, yeah. like you don't, you barely hear about like, oh, check out, you know, what's the name, Akon out in Africa, like running his stuff and bringing in like renewable energy to people. Nobody talks about that. Right. You know? But apparently he's doing people amazing are, work. Yeah. But people talk about Gucci man going and, you know, killing his cellmate. And that's like, yeah. you know, that's what gets in there, you know? And so one side of my art is like these beautiful, like emotional filled, like, mm -hmm. uh, conceptually dense figure paintings, hyper realism thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, a like a four by three painting will take me like two months of constant painting, you know, mm -hmm. maybe like, 50, 60 hours on this thing, and, uh, but no, it's the stuff that took me a day to paint that it's like, you know, gains it. attention, you know? Right. And it kind of sucks, you know, I wish I'd never even started painting it, but I guess seeing both those, like, series, those are my main painting series, is, like, kind of balances each other out mm -hmm. anyways, you know? So I guess it was, like, needed, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. I mean, just thinking about the stuff that you enjoy to do, and I, Obviously, I'm sure like you have more passion about the stuff that you create now. Now that you're out of school and you can kind of do more things that you really enjoy, mm -hmm. have you found that that drive to, to create a lot more now? Or um, I'm getting back there. I'm yeah. getting. I'm finally like I never stopped making art when I got out of school, and I probably should have. So mm -hmm. last year I took a break from art and. Yeah, I got, like, I wasn't even trying to come back to art this year, and I was trying to do, like, a lot more music in 2018, but I got a couple random commissions, you know, mm -hmm. which usually, it doesn't happen just out of nowhere, somebody hollering at me, I'm usually, like, out hunting for sales or, like, mm -hmm. showing people what's going on or whatever, but yeah, I got a couple, of few random, like, really big commissions of, like, bigger uh, canvases, and I was like, well, I, you know, I gotta stick to this, mm -hmm. you know, I gotta keep it going, so mm -hmm. I have some... Do you, do you, is that something you enjoy, commission work? Yeah, I like to get, get paid for yeah. something. I mean, who doesn't? Like yeah, that? I like getting paid for the the mass amount of time I've poured into the skill. You know, well, see, that's uh, not for nothing. You know, word. It, it is a portrait. It's a portrait. So I'm I'm digging it. You know, it's gotcha. not, It's not something I don't want to do. So like, have you ever been paid to do something like, pretty much somebody said, here, I want you to create me this original piece of, piece of art. Take this money. Do whatever you want. Has you have you ever had that situation? Um, no, no. no. 
people that usually give you some sort of direction. Yeah, they'll, they'll want like a commission. And again, I'm a figure painter for the most part, so I'll even introduce myself and be like, hey, I can paint like you and your family. I can, mm-hmm. I'll paint you your masterpiece to sit on top of your mantle, you know, and you gotcha. can show it off to your buddies and stuff or whatever. But no, usually not, you know, most commission stuff. I get more money doing like logo design and stuff, which I hate. I absolutely hate logo That's design. Great. I love it, dude. I- dude, I like, I can do it. I don't have a problem doing it. It just like, it hurts to be like, oh, here's 10 pages about my company. Yeah. Make something half an inch by half an inch that represents all of, of this. this. You know? yeah. And I'm a guy that likes to paint photorealism, so I'd be like, dude, I would love to paint you something that represents all of, like, layer upon layer, infinite layers of all these different dimensions that are telling you about this thing, but mm-hmm. now it's like, no, complete opposite. Right. But I practice it, you know, I'll do it anyways, you know, it, uh, it's the job and... Mm. It, I mean, it's just a different way to think too you know if you like block yourself off to not to only doing one kind mm-hmm. of work you, you know you'll miss out on how to grow in other aspects That's of true. life you know which is another reason I stick to like multimedia stuff you mm-hmm. know do you have any like direct inspirations when it comes to like paint other painters or um for painters yeah and it's funny because most of the influence i have like their art is nothing like mine mm-hmm. you know a lot of my influences are more like graffiti writers. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm gonna say, rest in peace to Trez, uh, badass, but like MSK crew, all those guys, mm-hmm. Mad C or Sofuls, dude, beautiful artwork, super mm-hmm. complex, dense. You hit all the angles, you know, it's not really like uh, ordinary at times. You know, these guys are just like mm-hmm. top notch kind of folks. Mm-hmm. And then even for art, you know, like the music. Music is a massive influence. I'm probably more influenced on music than painters or other wow. artists yeah. with my art because um, I don't know. It's like it legitimately forces you to feel a, some type of way. You know, when yeah. listening to music yeah, yeah. loud enough, dude, you're feeling that, and that's what you get. And Andre 3000, uh, Bob Marley, Damian Marley, uh, and like Bass Nectar, and a bunch of all the old school hip hop, dude. Mm-hmm. Like I love technical hip hop, like I said, from like up north and like Doom and Aesop and stuff, but like. Mm-hmm. Those guys, for the most part, have had a bigger influence on me than like actual artists, gotcha. visual yeah. artists, I would say. And I don't know why. I mean, I might just be confused and not be seeing like the influences, but there's just so much different kind of art out there that to pull an influence from art seems like it's pretty easy to tell like who you're pulling your influences from. Gotcha. You know? gotcha. So I'm really trying to pull from just life, from yeah, like actual sure. life, live models, photos of these models. But I mean, I do look up to like uh, Diego Rafael Graveses, I don't know how to say that, Cam Rackham, mm-hmm. Rashad Perlmutter, she's a badass, Steve Asal, mm-hmm. all those folks are like awesome representational artists that mm-hmm. I'll look at and at least like, again, I don't know if I'm pulling influence, but you see them and you're like, yeah, that's something I need to do because these guys are like the top dogs. Gotcha. And you're like, oh, gotcha. I want to do this, you know? Um, but yeah, those like are maybe almost like aspirational influences. Yeah, exactly. That's gotcha. almost like a milestone that you're like trying to keep up with, you know, mm-hmm. or at least check in with every now and then. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I get, and then also I probably get more influence from like sculpt, sculptor, uh, sculptor, sculpt, sculptures. Oh my yeah. god, yeah, sculptures and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. I just really, yeah. Again, I like dense. Uh, paintings is usually what I like to see. Mm-hmm. And then um, here in Atlanta, Brandon Sadler, he's a big influence. 
I got to help with him in his like personal studio a couple years back. Nice. Just on like small projects when he was at back of the goat farm. Real cool guy, super chill. You meet somebody like that, that's just too cool, and you're like, dude, yes, like you got it. You know, yeah. thanks. You know, that's an influence. You know, and mm-hmm. like again, our art doesn't look anything alike. You know, and mm-hmm. it's worlds apart. But that's more of an influence for me. And I studied under Craig Drennan at Georgia State. If it wasn't for him, I would have quit school. I would have like. Mm-hmm ripped canvases off the wall and damn you know yelled my way out of there middle fingers in the air but Craig Drennan thanks to you you're a badass um I studied with Christian Rex Van Minen uh, uh he's a Colorado artist that mm-hmm. was working out of New York for a while and I studied under him and Esteban de Valle Valle probably butcher your name but uh both these guys are badass artists van minnen does like real traditional dutch painting which Mm. is like honestly like again we don't look anything alike in the painting but like his process is something that i've studied for a while and like similar process for like um old masters Mm -hmm. painting process is that also like like realism like old yeah he does weird stuff he does like realism and he does like hyper realism for like textures and surfaces but he'll do a portrait of like a mutilated face like honestly it looks like not like a beaten face but like legitimately like you came out the womb looking like like elephantitis looking stuff and he'll do like oh it's beautiful dude it's like start black background usually like marble floor like coming out of nowhere like real beautiful like photorealism marble floors and then just like the most putrid looking face amazing hair usually and he'll do like tattoos like real shitty tattoos all over this and it's like just like purely photorealism you know like all of it together doesn't make it like an actual photorealistic painting but like each um you know segment of the painting is beautifully done Mm -hmm. rendered to the highest degree you know is real conceptually dense but again it comes back to the craft that he pours into it you know and then um esteban he does like a lot of illustration Mm -hmm. and he's super political guy and i love doing political artwork because just because you might as well i guess at least a little bit mm-hmm. and um yeah just a all-around badass and he got me exploring like looser art and so now i've been doing what do you mean by like, looser so art? instead of going straight for like the titanium white white oil paint and like doing my all the the correct process and stuff he got me back into like watercolor and mm. like pen and pencil and gotcha. like, what do you feel like this figure should look like instead of like what does this figure look like mm. i did that andre 3000 poster yeah that, I, love that shit. I did that in his class okay but, uh, and this is all at anderson ranch out in colorado awesome dope workshop spot mm. um but yeah, he got me to like loosen up and I mean his face is pretty realistic. Like that's straight like same process I do mm-hmm. to get his structure of the face like in my paintings, but everything else was just like look at the photo and just like feel what you feel, you know. And that was real cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to combine my kind of like more graffiti style, which is like I mean, a little photorealism, but like mm-hmm. more, you know, colors and playing around and abstract shapes with my painting to see mm-hmm. if I can get like a middle ground there, you know. Do you think that the color choice you use in your work means anything? Because I, I definitely see like some muted colors mm-hmm. in a lot of your stuff, and like yeah, no, well, definitely. I mean, there's still vibrancy in the color because mm-hmm. you use like a wider color color value, but like mm-hmm. no, there's definitely a significance. So like most of my figurative stuff that I'm trying to like depict emotions, usually the figures in black and white and, mm-hmm. and deep hidden in the 
background you'll see different colors in gotcha. like sometimes if it's a poorly lit like a uh, wall you probably won't even see it but like getting in there with light you'll see a lot of colors in there and i like Almost to like undertones and stuff yeah like yeah and i like to do that because you know i don't know maybe step away from color so humans can be human you know i guess I don't know, kind of just like mask, like, or even take away race almost from the, mm -hmm. those figure paintings. Cause to me, it's not about race or where this is. It's just the model that was there to collaborate at that time is mm -hmm. in the painting, you know, and we're doing what they wanted to depict and what the photographer wanted to depict. Mm -hmm. And all those paintings are even named after the photo, the model, the photographer, and then me as like a collaboration. You know? gotcha, gotcha. And so that's real muted and cause I'm trying to explain too many other things and I think color might mm -hmm. wash it away. And then my satire, again, the background is basically like various hues of like vomit, you know, <laughs> it's like real shitty colors and like all like straight out the tube paint, pen, paint, if I have any mm -hmm. other colors in there. And you know, for a while I was doing their faces in like flesh tone, but now I'm just doing again, black and white portraits mm -hmm. on like, really trying to make it look like an elementary school drawing, almost, yeah. you know? And then graffiti, <coughs> graffiti, I stick to like all the colors. Like yeah. I try to just shove as many colors in there. Mm -hmm. I love it. And yeah, that just makes you, you know, everybody likes to get lost in a massive painting that like, you know, mm -hmm. just various colors that you can't really follow with. Um, screen Immersive printing too. Yeah, 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 definitely just immersing into the piece. Screen printing's the same way. I like to play around with like colors that don't really match. But it comes down to like what the medium is again. In like watercolor, my watercolor have lots of, mm -hmm. lots of color on top of like, it'll usually just be the outline of a portrait, you know, mm -hmm. and not really too many values to the, to that. But um, yeah, color definitely has a, Role. And it really comes down to what medium I'm using, what the message is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even need killer, you know. Mm -hmm. um, will it? You know, I've definitely made pieces of just way too much color, and you can't even tell what's happening at the gotcha. scene. Yeah. And it's a little intense, but I mean, you got to look at the whole composition. And that's what I learned at art school is like, dude, anybody can make an awesome art piece, and it just comes down to a few different mm -hmm. angles. You know, you can't make something too busy. You can't make it, you know. Yeah, whatever. You can do whatever you want, really. You know? Yeah, so, true. Fuck but in art school, like, they want you to do that. So well, Art school will talk to you. Again, it goes <laughs> back to that teacher's going to talk to you either way. Are they going to talk to you about that same piece when you didn't pay them to talk to you once right. you graduated, you know? And that's what I kind of realized. So I kind of stepped back from listening to the professor. And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. going to make shit I know is dope. I think it's just the nature of school, man. Like, you mm -hmm. pull the things that you value and that, exactly. that have, have value to you. Use you know? what works with you and exactly. throw away the rest, you know. Maybe, exactly. maybe keep it to analyze later in life, but, like, yeah, dude, if something doesn't, you know, and they're trying, like, I've been in times where people are beating, like, ideas into my head. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, dude, this is, it's just silly. I yeah. thought we were being creative here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, thought, I thought we were, like, there was no end goal here, you know. I thought See, we were trying to explore. Exactly, dude. One thing I, I, I learned, and I can't remember who told me this, but they said the purpose of school is not to necessarily become a master at something mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. feel like you know everything about something. It's to whet your appetite for knowledge so mm -hmm. your mind opens up so you can absorb as many influences as yeah. possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I wasn't even ready for school. I should have waited. I didn't know, you know, what you learn for art, which makes sense, will vary from school to school. Mm -hmm. And Georgia State was very conceptual school dude they would love it if you didn't 
you painted blindfold, you know. They, mm -hmm. they would love that shit if you have a good enough idea or like mm -hmm. a good enough explanation for it, you know. And Back that, to the explanation though, why? Like, mm -hmm. And that is completely opposite of what I like, you know. Like, right. cool uh, ideas are awesome and explanations and meanings behind pieces are cool. Mm -hmm. But dude, if it's like a hidden message that only like 10 people know, then your audience isn't getting it, you know. It feels to me like you might have failed in that painting. And, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. A lot of art to me seems like it's like high society Sudoku. Do you get it? You know, can you understand this? Yeah. You know, it's like a weird crossword puzzle that only some people might get, and those are the people that are truly mm -hmm. into the fine art world. And I'm just like, man, I come from tattoos and graffiti. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. not, you know, like exactly. that's cool, dude. I always said, dude, the dopest tattoos have zero meaning behind them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the true. dopest tattoo, like legitimately the the best quality tattoo you'll ever see probably has zero meaning behind it and just looks great yeah. but you know I learned at Georgia State that dude having a concept that's a whole other side of your painting you need to have that you know mm -hmm. and same thing with the music I put you know you can't just sit there and talk about riding around with your buddies man you gotta be talking about something dope you know you gotta be mm -hmm. giving the people something to you know swallow and something to digest sure absolutely shit man so we're Pretty much out of time, dude. Yep, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the I appreciate you coming on. Oh, yeah, all the A big thanks to local artist and painter Felipe Cavalcante for talking to us. Next, we have my interview with Jake Chisenhall. But first, a sneak peek of a new DeLorean Gray tune before its official release. Here is Cosmos Flower. It was really good. Um, yeah. uh, I was a little sad because it wasn't a poppy bagel. They were out for the day, but that's not their fault. You know, clearly, poppy's back. Poppy's back, you know, um, in a big way. Mm -hmm. In a big way. Yeah, so uh, I really enjoyed that. It was splendid. Um, and, you know, it got me right in the mood to make some tunes. Nice. Which, you know. Okay, so impressive. today I'm sitting down with Jacob Chisenhall. Is that? Mm -hmm. That's how you pronounce your name? Yes, sir. AKA DeLorean Gray. And, uh, we're gonna sit and chat about his, this new project that he's got going on. So, um, did DeLorean Gray kind of come out of the Fake Flowers project mm -hmm. and places where you felt like that couldn't go, or? Yeah, uh, you know, it really kind of just started during the process of making that uh, the the record that we were working on that didn't end up coming out. Um, so. 
when uh, we were kind of in the thick of it, you know, about like a year and a half into like a two year process, um, I, you know, I just found myself like in need of a good distraction. You know, recording is one of the main things that, that I do. And, you know, sometimes it's just healthy to step away from a big project and kind of come up with something on the side. And I was in my like last couple of semesters of college and was really getting into, um, you know, early takes on science fiction and various forms of media. And all of a sudden this idea just popped in my head. It was like, oh, you know, I'm having a hard time being myself and working on my things right now. What if I just became somebody else, you know, mm -hmm. somebody from a, a time and place that is far beyond my comprehension. And I just insert myself into that person for a little while. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the ways how I kind of dealt with the stress of taking on such a big endeavor. So that's where it started. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was around the the end of uh, Fake Flowers whenever I was realizing like, okay, you know, um, I, I know that I want to keep doing music and I have a lot of things still left to say. Um, but, you know, when it comes to starting over, it really helps if you already have like a, an idea in mind. So so luckily, I think I kind of prepared myself for my future endeavors with, with how DeLorean started. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like when you're approaching like songwriting, um, do you feel like there that you have a kind of a different approach going from like writing for Fake Flowers to writing for DeLorean? And like, what are the differences in that? Um, so whenever I was doing Fake Flowers, it was, it was really uh, a very like, I don't want to use a word like teenage to describe it, but it was a, a very like young songwriter's way of, of approaching, you know, uh, talking about what their experiences are. I would literally have these things happen in my life and would just regurgitate them. And it was very, um, very like on its face about like what I was dealing with. And I wasn't really afraid to, to talk about things but with DeLorean. It's a lot more cast in the shadows. Yeah, it, it seemed like fake fat flowers like, was kind of more like catharsis writing, mm -hmm. like what you're going through, things like that. Um, which I really enjoy, like songwriters that can do that well, where it's like you, um, you, you kind of hear like, it's a way for, like to process things, mm -hmm. you know? And, and when somebody can do that well, it's like it, it has a kind of universal kind of appeals, you know, too, because everyone struggles with things, but not everyone can kind of take that and alchemize it into, you know, a beautiful, like, project or, you Right, know, and something that's just relatable. Art. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that was, uh, that was definitely my mindset that I was into, like, throughout the course of, of working with uh, Fake Flowers, though a lot of it was admittedly dream pop and you couldn't hear a lot of the lyrics, you know, the stuff towards mm -hmm. our, our later days. Um, yeah, I mean, really kind of pulling on... Um, uh, emo music was a big thing that connected everyone in the band and so that was um, kind of our approach was yeah very like cathartic form of just like putting our experiences out there in the hopes that people would relate to it mm -hmm. and um, and you know kind of when I started with DeLorean Grey I was trying to do the opposite of that with Hokkaido Overwash it was really about um, going through things that you don't feel comfortable talking about and don't know how to express um, and and turning that into like a, a, a musical reaction, which is to make something that was very icy and isolated and uh, like very introspective. And so that's where I think like sonically most of that record stemmed from. But with Star Tropics, I really did my best to stray away from being shy that's something that um, I've always 
had uh, a bit of a challenge as as a front man it's like somehow you know sometimes i'm really lucky you know you go out there and the switch kind of turns on and, mm-hmm. and you're on and you want to be that person but but even sometimes when i'm out there i have to kind of push for that a little bit more right. and this was kind of the the record equivalent of trying to do that um especially with uh the closing track a touch of strange um that was really a moment where i was like okay i'm gonna really you know put myself out there in this form even though I'm, I'm speaking in kind of loose cosmic terminology to mm-hmm. describe my problems I'm, I'm actually you know if, if you read the lyrics of that one um, they're a little bit more like about face about you know facing my my future and the idea of losing time you know working on things for so long and, and them not coming to fruition but mm-hmm. just like you know taking time and life into perspective so you know mm-hmm. trying to nowadays make DeLorean a little bit closer to what fake flowers was uh, in a lyrical context like meeting in the middle almost you know right yeah uh, delorean seems you know like an alter ego can also offer a catharsis but also like escapism Mm -hmm. you know it's like which you know so many times like people are like you shouldn't try to escape your problems it's like everybody needs to escape their problems sometimes right you know like you gotta deal with things you know somehow Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so, um, who are the main people like helping you with this project? I mean, I understand it's a lot of solo work, but like, right. um, I mean, well, what I'm really happy about, um, with this band is, yeah, it, it definitely started as, as a solo endeavor and I, I, you know, it's good to have some autonomy when it comes to your projects and your personal works, but I'm also, I feel very, uh, thankful for everyone who's contributed to things with me uh, thus far. The mm-hmm. the most important uh, names in a, in a long list of people who've been kind enough to help me are Freeman Leverett, um, formerly of Fake Flowers, and he uh, also does a lot of his own solo works that are coming out this year. He's okay. one of the most talented musicians I know. Um, so we've got Freeman uh, and Merle Law as well from the band Palm Sunday. Um, so they are part of my backing band live. They're kind of the, the core of the live band with me. Um, but I've also got Andy Barton, who uh, was also in Fake Flowers. He's gonna be doing some shows with us in the future, gonna be playing some cool synth drums. Um, but he's helped me greatly uh, from a, uh, a uh, kind of branding and, and marketing perspective. He's just helped me kind of get myself together, you know, um, and kind of put myself back together. Uh, but also Jake Aaron from Moloch uh, did uh, mixing on this record and was also a big help for uh, consultation as well as Jesse Mangum and uh, from the Glow Studio in Athens and uh, I definitely cannot forget Lawson Chambers who has uh, did, did a lot of art for me in the uh, you know last couple of months and he also did the cover and uh, yeah I just feel really thankful to have this team around me because you know solo projects doesn't mean that you're alone and it, right. I don't think in today's world anyone could or should do anything completely by themselves you mm-hmm. know I think it's really through like a, a community that ideas and concepts get to take off yeah collaborations mm-hmm. absolutely um, so do you have any like, kind of future future co- collaborations like in the works like yeah down the pike there's a lot of really cool things in store um, I'm basically always collaborating with uh, Michael Myers, who is my neighbor and best friend, uh, and we are working on one, two, three, uh, th- at least two records right now, maybe a third one. <laughs> yeah, that guy puts out so much mm-hmm. material. <laughs> it's insane. 
Yeah, I personally <laughs> refer to him as the greatest living showman. Um, yeah, he's got a, an insane output, and uh, he's just a really lovely person to work with. So we've got one um, one vaporwave-inspired album that we're doing, uh, another one where he is uh, working with like a longtime collaborator, and then um, we're also working on a record together called Packard Bell 96, which uh, is kind of, it's just a sonic experiment. It's like, what if what if my character, you know, what if DeLorean Gray and Michael Myers somehow in some weird universe cross paths? Right. Uh, and, um, you know, our characters are like playing off of each other. I, I'm playing with the idea of we need to duel at some point. Um, but we're trying to express that through, through music. And it's a really fun process. Um, uh, I'm also working with uh, Freeman uh, on some various things as well. We're working on a, uh, a collaborative uh, lounge music mixtape that will come out at some point in the future. And uh, also working with Andy Barton uh, on his first EP. Uh, it's called Beginners and it's by his band Reverie Rush. Okay. Uh, and so Freeman and Andy and myself, we just recorded it in my home studio. And uh, so, you know, we're kind of closing that one in and Reverie Rush should be doing some shows in the near future. Um, but there's also a lot in store for DeLorean as well. I kind of got to the point where I realized, you know, having put out Star Tropics, um, the response to it has been really wonderful, but um, I don't really want to wait too long before putting out new music again. So that was kind of a, a thing that I've been juggling with, like, you know, how do you maintain like your audience's attention? And I think in 2018, a lot of that has to do with constant output. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on this project right now where I want to release one song a month for, um, you know, maybe six months or so and, and kind of just steadily build up, you know, attention for this release and just be able to put out a lot of music for people to listen to. It's mm -hmm. going to be more um, new wave, and uh, and more like 80s influence. I think I'm bringing back a lot of the, the heavier electronic work that was kind of absent from parts of Star Tropics. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, just uh, a handful of dancey pop numbers that will come out steadily and then maybe at the end of the year, I'll compile them all into a mixtape with a couple extra tracks and put right. that out there. Um, but I think right now, I kind of just want people to be more familiar with myself and with this character. So it's a lot about playing shows and I just, don't want to stop putting out music so mm -hmm. whatever way I can facilitate that as quickly as possible um, are there any thoughts of like uh, you know having some more kind of like theatrical kind of aspects to it because it you're kind of world and universe building is what it seems like you know mm -hmm. like um, I mean I could easily see more characters kind of being brought brought in and you know um, I, I'm really into this into ideas of like merging like just multiple forms of you know live kind of art and entertainment you know where uh you know you play like three songs and then some character runs in from the crowd and like <laughs> some skit happens and then mm -hmm. you know you shoot off in a spaceship with like a project from like a projector or something and then you're on another planet you know like it it, it seems like there's so many possibilities that you could kind of in so many directions you could go with with like an outer space type character you know mm -hmm. um I don't know. Are there any? Have you had any thoughts of the, like 
that kind of stuff? Or? Absolutely. I think a lot of that stems from the people that I am lucky to surround myself with, uh, especially, you know, Myers. He's such a character. And I think um, being at a lot of his shows has really kind of encouraged me to, to make it more of a, a character experience. So mm-hmm. definitely as, as time goes on and I get more comfortable with this character and with this world, I'm going to find as many ways as possible to make that part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for right now, it, it's really been, about uh, making the stage have a certain kind of look and I I think you know especially with the show with the 15th we're gonna try and like really crank that up Um, but yeah you know as as we go down the pike I think uh, introducing uh, visual elements having people on stage uh, doing things being people and uh, and interacting with projections and lights is going to be a huge part of the the -hmm. whole performance Um, because yeah with this character i feel you know it's not like you're a a dude in a rock band anymore and you're weighed down physically by your guitar and limited to the amount of space that you have with a project like this uh it can go just about anywhere Mm -hmm. and um with this with this new uh thing that i've got coming uh later on this year um with this new record it's going for a uh a Wild West virtual reality theme. I won't okay. get into the details of it, but it, it basically, it's like if you combined the Wild West with uh, with uh, Tron. It's kind of okay. what I'm going for. Um, so instead of like the, the outer space beach vibe, like outer space, like Wild West. Right, it'll... Like- It'll definitely go back to that, um, you know, a kind of return to some of the the Tropicalia elements that were present in Star Tropics. That is something that I will not be able to stay away from for too long. But having purged that out of my system before I go back and write some more really fun beachy tunes like Mm -hmm. that, I kind of want to just expel this other influence. I think I've just been listening to too much Gary Newman lately. And um, I kind of want to experience uh, experiment with you know uh, a slightly darker shade of of tones and ideas for this project. So um, I won't say too much now because I'm still working on the idea. Mm-hmm. But let's just say uh, that Delorean and uh, his ragtag team of uh, fellow uh, cosmonauts are going to end up in a virtual reality chamber that uh, ends up going awry, and they have to find some way to get their minds out of the system mm-hmm. essentially Boy. so with with those kind of Sounds like like a bad trip <laughs> yeah exactly it is it is definitely a, a play on that um the idea of like getting one's mind hacked right um and you know just just want to make a quick experiment before kind of bringing this this full story to a close um uh i know i'm going to do a couple more releases you know with this one singular serialized story that delorean has been going through but then after that i feel like the character is just free to go mm-hmm. into any university wants to right yeah yeah it's and it seems like you're still kind of building that universe but kind of once you kind of have you know the the parameter of it yeah you can just take it in any direction you mm-hmm. know that's it's really interesting one of the things i just thought about was like um you know, we're at this really interesting time where, uh, you know, musicians and artists, like, they don't have, like, a private life anymore in a right. lot of ways because of so, so much social media. And, like, you know, back in the day, like, no one knew, like, what Led Zeppelin looked like, you know, mm-hmm. right? Um, but now it's interesting if, like, with a character that you're building like that, like a DeLorean Gray type character, what you can do is you can kind of, like, flip that social media kind of nonstop behind the scenes like on its head where it's just like 
I'm Delorean Gray all the time. And this is like, this yeah. is my world that I'm creating. Like you want it behind the scenes, I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll create this world for you, you know, which I think is a much more creative and cool way to kind of take our kind of, you know, neurotic, narcissistic kind of obsession with, you know, filming mm-hmm. everything we do. Um, I don't know, that's just... I completely agree. You know, no, no, I thought that I had. <laughs> you're uh, you're so on the money with that, Stephen. I think that um, yeah, the 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 way how it goes nowadays, yeah, we are just kind of encouraged and driven to uh, reflect on ourselves and like put ourselves out there, uh, which is very healthy, and I think that, that that services a lot of people. But I'm I'm a relatively I, I wouldn't say I'm a private guy, but I don't feel the need to. Um, to put myself out there in uh, like my opinions or, or other things, like unless it's like absolutely necessary, you know. I, luckily, I'm a journalist and I have the ability to put those thoughts into writing whenever I want to. So whenever it comes to my personal social media, um, you know, I, I found myself kind of like lacking and wanting to put myself out there. But getting to be Delorean, and I have no fears about being private because it's not even my life that I'm sharing. It's just right. some guy that I've made up. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really great to get to live as that kind of character. And uh, it is the ultimate form of like personal escapism for right. me because this is somebody who I like being, you mm-hmm. know, it feels really good. And, you know, through getting to do that, I, I ended up learning, you know, a good bit about myself as well. But right. yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. I think um, it is it is actually fun for me to get to imagine what this person is doing or you know um trying to create their world through music and through story mm-hmm. you know? yeah and when you approach it in that kind of way you can kind of re- return some of like the mystery that is that makes music cool and that you know creating stories and like narratives is about to me you know like that's you know i feel like one of the big reasons that we're here is to create things like that, you know, and to create ourselves and to create our own meaning, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So it's cool to be, see people like, um, kind of diving in and using like new technologies in interesting ways that aren't just like weird self service servicing, like narcissism, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, you know, part of that, uh, just goes back to the idea of like a, a larger collaborative network of people, you know, um, it's, it would be so hard to create this immersive experience for the people that are interested in my music, unless I had the help of, of people like my bandmates and Lawson and, uh, and everyone else who's been involved because, you know, nowadays, um, I think people are not shy to the idea of doing grand things with smaller budgets. And a lot of that comes from mutual collaboration, you know, so I, I feel like as a, a person who is a you know recording artist, the most viable resource that I have for others is to be able to give them an opportunity to put their ideas uh, onto wax. And, um, and, you know, in return, we have this very reciprocal relationship where they can mm-hmm. kind of help me build my world, you know, and that kind of uh, that is very illuminating and it helps take a little bit of the, the pressure off. And it just makes it more a mutually fun experience for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it seems, you know, it like at least in a lot of the artistic realms, like it seems like artists have kind of moved into this kind of post-capitalist kind of, you know, community of, of people. And like, you know, kind of, it's, it's interesting that 
we're at this point where the gatekeepers aren't there anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But now it's all on artists to make it happen for themselves. Um, And so it's like, you know, people are doing marketing and, you know, selling themselves in really interesting ways if they can, you know, collaborate with other people, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And the extent of collaboration is like endless, you know, as long as you're willing to like, kind of put in the, the the work on the front end and throw your hands up and be like, I don't know if I'm going to get paid for this, but right. at least like working on this project, you know, mm-hmm. which to me is like when the most fulfilling things happened, you know, I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it's all about your, your ideas and your artistic integrity first. And, you know, as long as you keep that in the forefront of your mind, um, really the rest of it is just fighting the algorithm and right. seeing, you know, um, how you can assist your art in, in breaking through to a larger amount of people because you're right, like the gatekeepers are gone and it is kind of up to ourselves. Um, and that is both, um, I mean, you know, it, it is a double-edged sword. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, it, it drives people to push themselves into a lot of different avenues they may not have done previously. But, the, you know, the downside of that is that, you know, if you don't just inherently have access to those commodities or those skills, your chances are diminished. And that's unfortunate. And I think, you know, I hope that, you know, in the next couple of decades that younger musicians will have newfound ways to try and, and get themselves out there. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, there will just be nothing but a lot of medium fishes in a medium pond. Right. Yeah, that is, that's definitely one of the, yeah, the, the byproducts of that for sure, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, yeah, it, but at the same time, like there's only so much room at the top and it's like with everything so kind of democratized and, you know, there, there are so many talented musicians. It's, you know, the, you know, I, I don't know that there's going to be, I'm interested to see how like the next 10 years in music go, mm-hmm. you know, because if you look at people that are like women winning Grammys, it's like, I don't know, it, it, you, there's only so few people that can fit into that mold, mm-hmm. you know, now obviously they're the outliers that are, like, you know, like Chance the Rapper, you know, you know, that are definitely kind of forging a new path in the music industry, but it seems like it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of in disarray in a little bit because it's like not everyone can make a living off of Spotify. Like who can do yeah, that? Yeah, you know, Spotify and touring, you know, it's like you got to get creative, which mm-hmm. it seems like you're, you know, going in that direction of yeah, at least in something cool and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, at least trying to, you know, I think uh, uh, young musicians nowadays are beginning to understand that it is important to kind of redefine what musical success is nowadays because, you know, the the terrace that we are playing on is so very different. And, um, you know, we just have to kind of rewrite our definition of success because, it, I, you know, in my personal opinion, it's, it's really just about creating things that have a sustained life and a longevity and using your art to um, break into different and exciting things, you know. And that's, that's why, uh, in spite of being a, uh, you know, primarily a musician, I'm like, oh, you know what, I'm going to write like a science fiction story and I'm going to plug myself into this using my art because at the at the very least you know no matter what happens at the end of the day i'll know that 
that this thing happened, you know, and, and whenever it's finally a physical book and something that I can hold in my hands with along with like a CD of all the, the tunes that kind of played into the creation of that novelization, it's going, you know, I, that mm-hmm. to me is success. That's, that's seeing something to its end. Right, right. I keep bit picturing it as like a video game. <laughs> I can, you know, one day, I can one totally day. see it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's crazy because like right now we're in a place where like to get it put into as like an eight bit video game isn't that hard to do anymore. It's you know, not, yeah, it, it's crazy. I'll have to talk to um, who are the guys that did Homestar Runner, the brothers Chaps, the Chapman yeah. brothers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hit wow, them up. I haven't up. thought about Homestar Runner in so long. It's my go-to. It's one of my guilty pleasures, yeah. man. Whenever. Is it still up? Oh, it's still going. Really? Every every six or seven months, they'll be like, here's a new cartoon. <laughs> you, you bothered That's to check hilarious. the site. Here's a cartoon. <laughs> um, which is really great, you know? Uh, and they're doing stuff with uh, uh, Air Sea Dolphin now with Rob Schneider uh, from the Apples and Stereo and Nutrimilk Hotel. So okay. they're, yeah, they're pretty active. But yeah, um, if you're listening, Chapman Brothers, let's do this video game. <laughs> Make my dreams come true. Let's start crowdsourcing. Let's do it. Man, you know, uh, you're you're encouraging me in all the wrong ways here. Man, I, I, I might have to just drop it all and start making a game now. Because <laughs> yeah, I could see it too. I totally yeah. could. Yeah. I mean, you've already got the aesthetic. You already—it's like you already know what it looks like. It's just Ugh. getting it. Mm-hmm. I've played—I've played enough video games, video games in my time to sure. to know what I would want. I mean, I've—I've I've, have definitely been dreaming of doing something like that since I was a little kid. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think really this project is just me taking in all of my like just childhood fantasies and and trying to turn that into something like even you know when people ask me what my music's like i just i tell them it's kind of like the weather channel but with vocals (laughs) um but that just stems from the fact that whenever i was a kid i really wanted to be a meteorologist and i just would watch the weather channel and and listen to that music and just kind of like get entranced by i don't know what it was but like you know this this project to me is always about like going way back to what what kind of stuck in your heart right absolutely I mean, I guess that's what, you know, most, like, that's kind of what art is, is, like, trying to, like, repurpose what kind of formed you as a child, right? Mm-hmm. And some people's formative years were not very good, you know? True. Um, so that's, you know, that's where you get a lot of, obviously, a lot of that. And then the Weather Channel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you know, it's just life hands you what it does, and yeah. you... Uh... Through, through nurture and through time, you just kind of get molded into whatever final form you're going right. to take. Just repurpose all those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Jacob, thank you for uh, coming and sitting down and chatting with me. Thank you so much, yeah. Stephen. No, it's always a pleasure to be here and talking with you guys. And uh, long live Plasma Mag. Thank you. A big thanks to Jake Chisenhall for sitting down and chat with me, as well as providing this month's theme music from his upcoming DeLorean Gray release. And now on to our interview with the creators of Adventure ATL, Sean Taylor and Josh Davis. All right, so I'm here with Josh Davis and Sean Taylor, and y'all are organizing Adventure ATL. Can you guys explain a little bit of what that is? Sure. Adventure ATL is an indoor music festival, um, not a concert. Indoor music festival, we really take an entire building and repurpose it where every single room feels like its own environment. So we really want people to have as many choices as they 
as, as, we, as we can provide and bring them into an immersive experience. Mm. Anything you want to mention? Um, I mean, pretty much hit it Covered on the it Yeah. So when you mean uh, indoor experience, what exactly do you mean? What are the separate experiences that will be going on at Adventure ATL? Um, just examples from the past. We've had a, like an art gallery. We've had like a main stage area that feels more so of a concert. And then um, we have like a downstairs area where it would be more like a hype room. So if you watch Adventure Time, it would be like the nightosphere. Like a lot of stuff is happening all the time in that room. Right. Um, and it kind of brings that kind of energy. Yeah. Just a, a little bit for everybody, yeah. honestly. Mm-hmm. Did you guys take a lot of your inspiration from Adventure Time? Uh, for the first two, yeah. But for this one, like, it's really just been developing our own characters, like our own cast of characters. Mm-hmm. So if you if you look at, like, our social media stuff, we have um, a reporter. His name is Lance Uppercut. Mm-hmm. And the energy, man. Huh? The energy up, man. What? Give it more energy. <laughs> you hear on the other side of the mic. Charlie, uh, I know how it's going. I know how it's picking. How it's going to pick up. You got to perform. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> Goofy. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, Lance Uppercut, he, uh, he's like a reporter. He basically, like, finds people in public and then asks them questions. And, like, it's like... So is this an actual person or a character? Simply a character? I mean, he's a, he's a person, but he's also a character gotcha. as well. Well, oh. okay, no, his real name is not Lance Uppercut. Though. Okay, so he's um, going by an alias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, exactly. cool. Yeah, you don't even see him in the picture, like, in the actual videos. He's just, it's that first person screen report. He's talking, and uh-huh. then he just pops up on people who are involved in the event uh-huh. and starts, like, interrogating them. Yeah, got you. So what were, oh, got you. Okay, cool. So what were the first two um, Adventure ATLs like for you guys? Like in organization um, versus the difference now, are there any things that you guys have done in the first two that you guys are going to incorporate in this one and things that, you're, that you've done in the first two that people really enjoyed that you're not going to incorporate? Mm, let's think. That's a pretty good question. Like, it's really, every year has been an evolution, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So, like, honestly, it's like, it's really just more like, okay, well, what can we do different from last year? Mm-hmm. The, the, the key things that we take away are engagement and marketing. Like, mm-hmm. that's more so something that we would take from year to year. As far as the experiences, like, we try to enhance those every year. Gotcha. And, like, this year's space is a lot more linear, and it's like, it's like a table. Like, this year's, it's like a table, so... Like, how do you make a table interesting versus a bookshelf, which is what our space was last year. It's oh. like, you have a top level, you have a bottom level, and you can go here, you're there. Mm-hmm. So, they all come with their own different sets of challenges, you know? Got you. So, but, what is you, both of you guys' role? Like, what's your role and what's your role? How do we define that? Josh, I'm going to let you talk about your role first, and then I'll plug in. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we pretty much have our hands in everything. Mm-hmm. Like... Me, him, and even Kyle. Wear a lot of hats. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So my primary focus is the experience, though. Got so, like, It's the experience. It's like, what do you feel like when you come in? Um, Which is a majority of any experience, especially indoor, because, like, you don't have the elements of, you know, weather and just extra variable so you truly truly have to like make an experience like make an environment almost like an ecosystem with the people involved in the activities that 
you provide. So, yeah. like, what are some activities that people can get into at Adventure ATL? Um, this year, do I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. I mean, okay, so we got a Microsoft gaming room. Oh, wow. That'll be something that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paper Frank's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So, that'll be pretty cool. Uh, Which is a very well-known Atlanta artist. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Great, great. And he's, like, getting into the streaming and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um... We have a couple of other things. I think people got to show up to just see. Um, definitely got some on-site activities. That's not fair. Give us more. Like, I mean, what what are we going to experience there? What is it going to be like when we walk in? What's the theme? Um, every theme is different. Like, mm-hmm. literally every room is different. Like, we have a room for straight-up energy. We have a room that's going to be like a wedding ballroom. Oh, wow. And then we have, like, a main stage. It's going to be like a rave area type mm-hmm. deal. Um Obviously, our vendor experience is going to be pretty cool. Um, and what else? Um, well, the gaming room is going to be an experience in itself. The whole lighting, everything is going to be decked out where you feel like you're in this just dope dope game bar type environment. Like Tron, yeah. Then we have, uh, there's a, how do I say their name? I, I always mess it up. Foster Child Care, right? Yeah, yeah. Child, they're going to yeah. be there, so they're going to have a room themselves. And if you know anything about foster child care, George and uh, Miles are part of that. They run that. They already have like this vision in themselves of how they do everything. Everything they do, content wise, is super interesting. So if you can check out their stuff and imagine that on site, just know it's a red. It's it's going to be an interesting experience. Yeah. Um, super. Yeah. But when Josh talked about that evolution. Like the only thing that we pretty much try to keep every single time is we want it to be immersive and we want to have different environments and we want it to be as communal as possible. Like we want people to be experiencing stuff with other people, like having more openness to talking with other people. Because a lot of these events you go in and you just watch the stage or you don't really want to talk to no, nobody, meet anybody new. At our event, like there, a lot of times people come out and I'll hear them like, months later like yo Sean I met such such and such at Adventure ATL and now we're doing such together right so it's like genuine networking as opposed to you're forced into a situation where you're like I'm going to network and meet other people in similar Mm -hmm. fields like you're actually meeting friends and developing careers yeah we just try to attract developing people who are like like-minded and whatever they're doing and there's a lot of different various fields but if they come they're of a certain mindset where they're on the edge of innovation and just like creating cool stuff so usually you get around those same people y'all click a lot faster Mm -hmm. all right cool so is there anything else that you guys want to add like i see you have uh stickers and flyers is there going to be merch is there going to be adventure atl merch Working on it. That is the question of the day. Yeah, definitely working on it. Um, We actually got this guy. He's one of our cool friends from Kid Robot. And he designed um, something for us. Now, how we're going to distribute that is going to be a completely different thing. So we can say, yes, we will have merch. Okay. Yeah, we can can definitely uh, say that. We just got to figure out how we're going to make it happen. Yeah, mm. gotta be the most it has to make sense financially got you yeah. got you so speak to me a little about the importance of since you guys are an independent um 
I guess, organization. Speak to me a little bit about what DIY and what uh, creating an event for yourself, like the importance of that and the importance of making genuine connections within the community. Okay. Um, well, one big thing is it just takes hella teamwork. The team really has to get on the same page. And with it being independent, you know, there's we didn't start up with any kind of formal structure. It's still not really formal. All right, Good Juice, we, we do it all together. It's a bunch of guys. I don't even know what the number is at this time. It's not huge, but I just don't know the exact number. Mm. Let's just say seven or eight. And like when we do something on this scale, it forces you to have some kind of systems in place. You can't just start doing stuff and expect a real result. Like do it like a lot, like a lot of creators and artists do. Oh, I'm gonna just post this when I want to post it. Or right, there's a system. There's yeah. a method to the madness. Yeah, it takes a little. You don't have to get over some of the awkwardness. Like you know, a lot of people don't like to post a lot right. on their pages, but we post a lot because we're it's for the event, not for you know our own branding. So it, it takes a lot of that on um, being on the same page and coming together, um, and then figuring out how we're going to get resources, whether that's including other people who are in the community, which we already want to do anyway, but finding other dope people and giving them a platform through our platform. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really just all about resources because we didn't have money. Like, it grew. I mean, we still, like, don't just have, like, a lot of money. Right. But it's growing. It grew so quickly. First one, let's just say it was around, like, five, six hundred or something like that. Then second one, like you know flowing at a thousand mm. and then this one we'll see what it does so y'all expect bigger <laughs> yeah we all, i mean we right. definitely you know hit a, hit a thousand that's that's cool right you know? and, and then let's let's just go for two thousand let's let's see what that number does or right. whatever but it's but when something grows that quickly especially when nobody's um you know having a huge financial backing or we don't have a structure already in place it forces you to build things really quickly and you have to figure out like how am I going to make this happen? How do you, like some things are finesse, some yeah. things are building real just systems. <laughs> <laughs> As Josh's t-shirt says, yeah. finesse. <laughs> but there is like such a immense amount of finesse required in starting anything. Like, yeah. and especially when you don't have, like you said, financial backing. What would you suggest for other DIY artists, musicians, in finesse? And mm. just finessing and starting your own stuff. Really, it's just about leverage. Like, the most, like, I feel like that's really all it is. It's like, okay, you have to develop some type of leverage for yourself and you have to establish a monetary value for yourself and for your event. Mm. Mainly because, like, if you're really trying to scale up, that's just what it's going to take. Like, you talk to a Sprite, like, hey, can y'all sponsor me? And it's like, why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, why? Mm-hmm. When you don't make numbers in your zip code go up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, for real, that's just really what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just about establishing a monetary value for yourself by any means. Like, there's so many ways to do it. But if you can attach a number to yourself, and say, okay, this is my value, this is my brand's value, I get X amount of impressions, I get X amount of revenue when I do these types of events, or the people at my events get this, then you can leverage that into another relationship right. with a, a corporate company who doesn't have... Like Microsoft. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they don't really have a foothold 
in that community at all. Or if they do have a foothold, it's not something that people are establishing brand really to. Right. They might just be like, oh yeah, I got I got a Microsoft computer and that's as far as it goes, but I'm, I'm working towards a Mac. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So, just, so what do you... What do you want people's takeaway to be from Adventure ATL, from attending this um, event? Really just uh, making new friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... So, is it it's is it going to be more informative or more of no. an experience, like a fun right, so experience? It's hands down fun experience. Right. So, so but yeah, there's just a lot of business, right. I'm sure, it, behind it. Oh, uh, yeah, behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, there's always, like, just business involved just to get people to show up. Like, mm-hmm. even if there's yeah. no money involved, like, you still have to show some kind of value for people to show up and spend their time. Like, Got just it. like a vendor, like, oh, why am I going to come here? Even if the vendor shows up and, like, we have vendors that aren't selling anything, and but they want to be seen, so they yeah, get exactly. some kind of awareness. Like, you have to, there has to be, like, we can put the word business on it, but it's really just about value and kind of how Josh said leverage. Just something for people to get. Now, when it comes to attendees, like, which is really the goal, like, the more focus, everything else is just a means to get to the end of creating the experience and allowing people to, yeah. like, enjoy it. Like, that's the goal. Like, just have people come in and out and say, yo, that was crazy. That was a great event. I haven't experienced anything like it or I wish I could experience something like this before. So thank y'all for allowing me a chance to talk with y'all. And thank you, Kaya, for organizing. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. That's it for this month's State of the Matter. A big thanks to Felipe Cavalcante, Jake Chisenhall, and the co-creators of Adventure ATL, Sean Taylor and Josh Davis. This month's theme music was all new stuff from DeLorean Gray. Make sure to check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephen Wilkins, and this is a Plasma Magazine production. See you next month, Atlanta.